Well, I think that to be anti-fascist today is to be any democratic person who fights to maintain and extend rights, human rights, rights at all levels. To be anti-fascist today is to defend the rights of the Palestinian people. To be anti-fascist today is to be feminist, to be an environmentalist, to defend the rights of migrants, the rights of the working class. Fascism in Europe is changing. Where far-right parties were once united by their opposition to immigration, Islam and the European Union, new causes have also emerged. Culture wars, minority rights, the climate crisis, now all mainstays of right-wing ideology. But resistance is building. Just as fascism has changed, so too has anti-fascism. From the left in the European Parliament, I'm Kira Bottomley, and this is Look Left, EU Politics Under the Lens. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Look Left. This month, we're looking at what many consider the foundation of left-wing politics, anti-fascism. I'm joined today by my co-host, Ricardo de Midio. Ricardo, how are you doing? Hi, Kira. I'm good, thanks. And yourself? Yeah, I'm very well. So today we have a great episode in store, but before we get started, it would be impossible to speak about what's been happening in the streets without highlighting the huge protests that have been taking place worldwide, calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. Yeah, that's right. Last 11th of November, there was a European Day of Action. We saw thousands of people taking to the streets and demanding an end to the violence. I think it was one of the biggest mass mobilizations we've seen in many years. Yeah, definitely. And I think what's interesting is the breadth of these protests. So we've seen huge demonstrations in major European capitals, but also in smaller towns and cities. For example, I was back home the other week in Ireland and there was a demonstration in my local village. Crucially also, I think the fact that there's been massive mobilizations from the Jewish community in the US, the EU and around the world is another really important moment. Well, I am here on behalf of hundreds of thousands of American Jews who say not in our name. Cease fire now. That was Elena Stein of Jewish Voices for Peace at a demonstration in New York recently. And within Israel, people have also been protesting against Netanyahu's extreme right government. They've been met with high levels of police violence and brutality and unfortunately haven't really got the media attention that they deserve. Absolutely. I mean, not to mention the acts of civil disobedience by progressives in Israel who are facing a really toxic political climate at the moment. But another important element of this struggle um, are the trade unions. In Belgium, we have the transport workers striking. In Barcelona, dockers refused to handle military material. And in Australia, there were activists on jet skis blocking an Israeli cargo ship full of weapons. I mean, this is truly inspiring stuff. I think it really shows the power of worker solidarity when it comes to demanding peace and respect for international law and fighting for democratic values more generally. I couldn't agree more, you know. You got to talk about these issues with Tia Yark recently, right? Yes. Tia Yark is the Confederal Secretary of ETUC, the European Trade Union Congress. And I recently sat down with her in her office to talk about anti-fascism and the past, present and future role of the trade union movement in this struggle. Let's hear what she had to say. 
We know that trade unions are facing a lot of challenges, not only decreasing membership, but of course, also a lot of attacks, sometimes from the institutions, from the policies. So our role is also supporting them with capacity building, with advocacy, with even going on the streets with them in their countries when this is needed. I think that all of the values the trade union stands for are, of course, connected with democracy, rule of law, human rights. We see very clearly that this is the opposite that the far right talks about. They don't care about inclusion. They are building their policies or basically their tactics and their propaganda on spreading fear, on spreading hatred. And throughout the history, this has been proven in so many cases. And indeed, trade unions play a very important role in many of the fights. So they can get very political as well. But just because this is what we represent and what we represent, it's the working class. It's not people being divided by race, by gender, by ethnicity, by languages, but it's basically, yeah, leveling the scale and rebuilding this power or getting the power so that workers' voice would be heard. And you mentioned before that membership is decreasing. Do you think that in terms of trade unions being really central to the struggle against the far right today, that's a really big challenge? Yeah, I mean, the membership is decreasing also because of the flexibilization of the labor market. It's very hard many times for us to even reach out to the workers. They are working as platform workers and we need to chase them down the street or they are working on Internet. They're working from their home. They have to compete with the other workers. So this idea of solidarity, of collective fight, it's being destroyed by the neoliberal policies and the neoliberal capitalism that we live in. So all of those fights are, of course, connected. And I think that going back to basics, remembering our workers, why is it crucial that we unite, is going to bring the labor movement back at the center of the power. What we can see is that many times the far right actually present themselves like they are representing the workers, mm -hmm. that they are doing in the interests of the workers which in fact, it's not true. The far right has the opposite view on most of the policies that we are talking about. They are spreading fear <laughs> and lies and populism about migrant workers. So it's very clear that we do not have much in common with them, also at the European level. And you just mentioned migration there. I think the trade unions on this topic have such a key role to play. They are workers as well. And I mean, in many of the cases, they are actually taking the jobs that the domestic workers don't want. And of course, this is not right as well, because then they are being exploited as a cheap or lower paid labor. And we are not improving the working conditions for them. We are just like forcing them to accept the low quality jobs. But we really need to overcome this imaginary fight between migrant workers and domestic workers. There is no fight among us. We are all working class people. We all deserve the same rights. Something else I wanted to touch upon was confrontations between trade union and far right. So I understand there was an attack in Italy against, I think, one of your members. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about that. Yes, indeed. It was quite horrible to see because the far right groups brutally attacked the CGIL headquarters, one of the biggest trade union organizations in Europe. And what we see now is that in Italy, where the attacks happens, 
They have a far-right government and they are struggling to keep a dialogue with this government as well. We have been seeing more attacks uh, across Europe on trade union offices because this far-right narrative and actions are becoming more and more normalized. So the trade unions are really under a lot of attack. It's bringing new violence into our society. And finally, so elections coming up next year in the European Parliament. I understand that ETUC has a, a resolution for countering the far right. We have committed to counter the far right narratives and their attempts to divide the working people. Also by disclosing the actions that the far right MEPs, parties and movements are actually doing. And we have also recently adopted the our manifesto, ETUC manifesto and campaign that it's specially designed to promote the workers' alternative to the economic policies that also allow the far right to grow. We are going to mobilize workers to attend the elections. We're going to do it in all of the countries. We are going to inform the workers what the far right has been voting for, why this has not been good. And we are going to promote the voting turnout as well, because we know that this is a challenge that many of the workers feel detached from the European institutions, from the EU elections. And it's important to show them that decisions taken at the European level has immediate effect in their everyday life and work. Really interesting to hear what Tia had to say about their refusal to work with the far right in the European Parliament, don't you think? Yeah, it's also something that we do at the left. In general, our group plays an important role in calling out unacceptable speech and behaviour from the far right in the European Parliament. I would like to report this as a form of hate speech and I want you to look into it because the way that groups of people are described amounts to a danger to them and fuels hate in this house. It cannot be accepted. That was left MEP Molin Bjork calling out transphobic and racist hate speech coming from the centre-right and the far-right directly from the hemicycle of the European Parliament. Yeah, this was during the debate on the Istanbul Convention, the International Convention Against Gender-Based Violence. And after calling this out publicly, Molin wrote to the President of the Parliament, Roberta Mezzola, demanding that she take action and sanction this kind of hatred towards minorities. Unfortunately, Metzola disagreed, saying that this fell within their rights as politicians to free speech. And the best response was calling it out as Marlin and others did in the plenary. Yeah, it's disappointing that she took this line, but unsurprising. The bar seems to be incredibly high for MEPs. But what I think is interesting is that these MEPs had nothing to say about how to fix the problem of gender-based violence. And instead, they just used their time to drum up hatred against minorities. Yeah, it just shows that they're really out of ideas as they just revert to culture wars. Don't look at us cutting funding to women's shelters or cutting public health care, but rather blame the immigrant or trans people. In this case, it's speech. It's harmful and it's hateful, but it's bluster. Anyone who takes even the time to look up the Wikipedia entry about this convention will see it's uncontroversial. It's a basic piece of legislation that aims to protect people from gender-based violence. Exactly. Speech is one thing, but what happens when fascist ideas start to become normalized? This is something I talked about with Spanish left MEP Cira Rego, as this kind of creeping fascism is something that we are increasingly seeing in the parliament and in EU policymaking. Let's hear Cira's take on where the anti-fascist movement is at today. 
Many people are dying as a result of European policies that take on the agenda of the extreme right, for example, in terms of migration policy. Therefore, I believe that we have to be very combative and defend the people who are organized in the NGOs and in the movements that are saving and rescuing people, for example, in the central Mediterranean. Gradually, we have seen how the far-right agenda has been penetrating the European institutions and European politics in general. The extreme right has an agenda, which has to do with an open war on human rights. Some of the parties have been taking up certain parts of this narrative. What must be made clear is that when the rights of a single group are violated, the rights of other groups, of other people, are put at risk. There is a cultural battle being waged by the extreme right in the European institutions. It is very obvious. And it is progressively winning because there is a section of the parties that form the European parliamentary arc that accepts and assumes these battles, that accepts and assumes aspects of this agenda and that is progressively widening. This is very bad news for Democrats in Europe. One of the clearest examples of the far-right agenda Sira was speaking about is migration. After years of fear-mongering and scapegoating, the far-right has weaponized migration, and you can see that in EU policymaking. So here's what Sira has to say about the EU Migration Pact. The Migration and Asylum Pact and the agreements with third countries to externalize and militarize borders are a good example of racist politics, of politics of cancelling human rights, and are therefore a good example of how the far-right agenda has penetrated the European agenda in general terms. And what we are seeing is that what used to be almost exceptional, such as agreements to externalize borders, agreements of shame with third countries that are anti-democratic regimes, is now becoming the central agenda of European migration policy. Tunisia, Morocco, Turkey, and so on. And since we recorded that interview, we can add Albania to the list with Georgia Maloney's recent externalisation plans. And while it's true we can see fascism creeping in, anti-fascism is still alive and well, right? Well, yes. I think the mobilisations of the past weeks are a testament to that. I also think that what stories we use and how we organize is fundamental. Ultimately, I'm an optimist and I think that most people want peace, they want community, they want a better tomorrow and a better future. And this is something that really came out when I was talking to Sira. I asked her whether she had any advice for leftists despairing at the current state of politics. I believe that we cannot fall into despair. Being anti-fascist and giving hope has a lot to do with organizing ourselves. Also in the small, the everyday and the close. Everything that generates community. Organizing ourselves in a neighborhood association, in a cultural association, in a social movement, in a political movement, all of this. Everything that breaks down loneliness and isolation undoubtedly contributes, first of all, to strengthening our rights, to promoting democracy, and then, therefore, to being profoundly anti-fascist. And concretely, Sira spoke about the recent elections in Poland and the success of the left in Spain. In those countries where civil society manages to organize itself in one way or another, we see that they are successful experiences precisely to fight, to stop. And in the case of Poland, I believe that surely the Polish feminist women's movement has contributed to generate the tide that has stopped the Polish extreme right-wing government. In Spain, we have also demonstrated a popular mobilization through the vote, which has stopped the right and the extreme right. 
This also has to do with the fact that in Spain there are strong popular organization movements, for example, to defend public health, the feminist movement, which is a very powerful movement in Spain, the young people, the young people who are organizing around the fight against climate change, the trade union movement in Spain, which is also a powerful movement, every popular civil organization around the issue of trade unionism, etc., always contributes to slowing down the advance of the extreme right. And I believe that this is an element of hope. I think that's a nice note to leave it on. There's no change without people. And if the recent protests for a ceasefire in Palestine tell us anything, is that there are many people organizing for hope. Absolutely. Now and then, no pasarán. Arriba las que luchan. And that's it for this episode of Look Left, the podcast from the left in the European Parliament. If you want to let us know what you think, feel free to reach out to us. We're always happy to hear from our listeners. A big thanks to our editor, Futura Debride from Boule Media. Sound design and mixing are by Jeremy Bouquet. And until next time, look left. <laughs>